Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team. We showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives, and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Exvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will change careers at your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Please join me at Outreach Unleash. I'll be heading to San Diego with the Outreach team March 10th through 12th in what will be one of the top sales conferences of 2019. Come see me in my session as I'll be sharing a new coaching framework for how one-on-one coaching can help you build a sales dynasty. Hit me up for more info or for tickets, and you'll be glad you attended. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Ben Sims, Vice President of Commercial Client Services at MarketSource. Ben oversees the delivery of B2B sales programs for iconic brands in a wide variety of industries and verticals. Ben's teams provide outsourcing solutions for inside sales, field sales, indirect or channels, running sales motions for the entire revenue generating cycle from lead gen to account management. Ben's teams at MarketSource provide sales solutions for some of the world's biggest brands. He understands how to build a team, enter high growth mode, and do it at scale over and over and over again. We are pumped to have Ben join us today. Ben, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rob. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, no, this is, I, I'm excited. I, I've been a fan of Market Source for a long time, and we're going to talk about some of the things you do to help sales orgs take what the market gives uh, and then some and grow faster. But I don't think I should be the one who talks about it. Will you introduce uh, uh, Market Source to our listeners around the world that may or may not be familiar with what you do? Sure, I'll try to keep it brief. Market Source is the premier alternative to outsourcing sales. We provide turnkey solutions for, like you mentioned earlier, any part of the B2B sales cycle from filling up your funnel with lead generation uh, to prospect proposing, quoting, closing deals or even managing your current accounts with account development. We help companies gain new customers or launch new products, grow their market share, optimize sales expense, or even maximize their mature product. So you guys, you guys uh, have been in the game for a while. You're the leader at what you do. You work with some big, big boys. It's interesting, but you also work with young. I mean, who, the people that come to you are big companies, small companies, everybody in between. Is the common thread they come because you help them gain market share faster? Is it as simple as that, Ben? 
We do, or we disrupt their current market. Um, so a lot of our, most of our companies, frankly, tend to be enterprise, but we do find the hyper growth companies that are ready to uh, inject a bunch of resources and investments into revenue growth. So we'll take on those missions, but also we'll take on those iconic brands, B2B brands that we're familiar with. Um, they may have a new go-to-market strategy. They may want to have ways that disrupt their industry in a good way, and they feel like that we can do it faster than they can. So that's that's who we tend to partner with. Which is why I'm excited to get you on. Is what you just said. You get the you get it done faster, and that's what our mission is. So I, I can't wait to get into it. But Ben, what I really want to start with is we start with every guest. Our listeners love hearing the story. Can you share what brought you to sales? You've got a really interesting journey. I like some of your journey. Don't forget that you're a rocker, by the way, too. I want to hear some of that, too. And, <laughs> and how'd you end up, uh, end up running such an awesome global organization at Market Source? Well, certainly I've been fortunate to, uh, meet some great people and have some wonderful mentors. I, I knew at a pretty young age that I liked sales. I like talking to people. I like partnering with people. I like solving their problems or helping them solve their problems. So at a pretty young age, I was in sales. But my first job out of college, I love, I'm a golfer. I love to golf. It's my hobby. And um, right out of college, I knew I wanted to work in the golf industry in sales. So I worked for Jack Nicklaus, actually, for several years. He started a golf equipment company in the early 90s. And uh, I jumped in on that and was his regional sales manager uh, while we were growing that golf equipment division of his of his company. So that was a lot of fun. And then the golf industry was kind of going through some changes. And that's when I changed gears as well and wanted to really help people uh, advance their careers. So I got into higher education, uh, working in marketing and admissions organizations for uh, technical and healthcare colleges. I uh, did that for several years, uh, 15 years to be exact, and then um, met with some of the leaders here at Market Source, and uh, over a series of several dinners and drinks and uh, conversations <laughs> over a couple of years, I really liked the leadership team here at Market Source, and um, at one point, finally, we found a fit and an opportunity for me to join them. So I want to back up. Did you work uh, for Jack Nicholas directly? Did you get to know him? I did. I got to sit in every year. He would have he'd be in our sales kickoff meetings. He'd He'd be there to talk about the new equipment, and and I'll tell you, the thing is about Jack is, and I think one of the things I take away the most from him is that I, I don't know I've ever met anyone that's so singularly focused at what they're doing at whatever moment they're doing it. So, and I think that's why he became the champion he did. If, if he's if he's having uh, if he's going fishing with you, he's a hundred percent focused on going fishing with you. There's nothing else that. Uh, can distract him at that given moment. If he's in a business meeting, he's in a business meeting. He's talking about the product or price or whatever strategy. If he's designing a golf course, he's designing a golf course. I've never met someone that was so in the moment as he was. Sounds like a really cool experience. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. You still a golfer? You still golf a lot now? I am. I'm fortunate. My wife plays. She played for a year for her college and my two young boys play. So it's kind of become our, our family hobby as well. What's your handicap? Let me know. Uh, I'm not, it's climbing, but it's, it's, it's okay. It's, I'm it's, playing. It's okay. I'm playing, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so let's, let's dive in. So you're at market source. It took a little time to get there. You're, you're now leading teams. And, and I've had the opportunity to walk through your facility. I've had a chance to spend a little time, learn how you do things. You have a really, really killer 
uh, track record, but also approach of standing up teams that grow fast and, and drive tons of value for your customers. When someone comes to you and they say, Ben, market source, uh, we're a big, large, iconic brand, and then maybe the market's growing 3%, and we got to double that. We want to grow 5 or 6%, so whatever, something like that. It, or it could be a tech company that says, well, you know, that's their version. Whatever it is, it's whatever the market says plus something. What are some of the things that you guys do as you start building sales strategies that you can share with our listeners that these are some of the things that lead to a blueprint for high growth sales? Yeah, it, it starts with people, of course. We're, what does make us different and, and is that we have a huge recruiting engine. So finding talent, even in a war for talent environment like we're in, actually is, is our biggest strength because we have a room of 100 plus recruiters that are able to cold call and, and find people that are willing to make a change and maybe find people with the industry experience, if necessary, or the right amount of experience. Um, that, you know, that's something that companies can't really do on their own is, you know, have a hundred in-house recruiters. So I, I will Can I ask say, a question about that though, Ben, while we're there before we move off? Yeah. So you guys probably have more than just a hundred recruiters. It's awesome that you have that, but I also know you and your organization well enough. It's not just, oh, we have more bodies. Is there anything that you could share with our listeners? How do you how do you cast the bat signal? I mean, I, in my in my episode with Ralph Barcy, he said that recruiting is about casting the bat signal out in the sky and attracting people. Any tips on attracting people to your organization rather than going out and trying to find them? Well, uh, I do think that obviously having a brand, I, I think we, we actually get a lot of our employees from referrals, from our current employees. So you certainly want nice. to have a robust referral program. You want to you want to encourage referrals. You want to recognize referrals. You want to compensate for referrals. Um, because if you ever, if you're a great place to work, then they, they'll send their friends to come work for you. So I would certainly start with a robots referral program. And we, we get a lot of referrals from our current employees. They're mm, very like proud it. of the culture that they work at. They're proud of working here. They, they're proud of the clients they get to work for. Um, and so all of that helps. Um, we're also, you know, you put the bat signal out, you mentioned that and Hey, come work here. Our recruiting engine actually does a lot of cold calling. So we have technology in place that helps us identify the right talent that could be available for a specific role. And then just reach out to see if they're open to new opportunities. And then the whole process that we put them through is, um, you know, we want to evaluate all parts. So we will, of course, do a regular phone interview. We have them do video interviews so that we can see how they interact with technology. We have them come in and do role plays on the phone and have multiple managers listening to them so that we can hear what they're like on the phone. And we have them sell something they've sold before. We're not trying to stump them. And then we'll have them write thank you letters or follow up emails afterwards. That way we can see what they're uh, their written skills are like, and then after all that, that's when they finally get a face-to-face -face interview. So it, it's evaluating all of that. So it's a combination of uh, certainly your company culture uh, and using references or referrals to bring in business from your current employees, because those tend to be the best, but also having a very good hiring process. Because I think if you have a good hiring process, that'll help you attract or identify the right talent. But people pay attention to how you are recruiting them, and they will say, wow, this company is very thorough in their analysis. That is the type of place I want to work for. Is there a most important thing that you guys look for as you're building out these high growth teams for your customers? 
sales core competency. So a lot of times people, uh, I find this especially with technology companies, they want technology salespeople, people who have sold in their industry before. I actually tend to uh, discourage that. Now there are some there are some very highly technical products that we sell that may require some sort of acumen in that industry. But I will take someone with energy, assertiveness, listening skills, right? I will take people with four or five sales core competencies, teach them the product, teach them the business that they're getting into, teach them the industry. That to me tends to have people that ramp quicker than the ones who come in with a bunch of industry experience from your competitors. I like that. So sales core competencies more than tech core competencies. Am I, am I restating that in a way that is correct or did I get it wrong? Yep. Very good. Okay. So I like that. And it's, I love the, the kind of high level process that you shared with us. Um, is there like a question or two or, or, or a, like a, a process or two that helps you really hone in if you've got that or not? Is there any one or two things that stands out to you guys as you've built this great recruiting machine for your customers? Well, I certainly want multiple managers evaluating a candidate. Hmm. I don't want just the hiring person, hiring hmm. manager to be the only one to evaluate a candidate because I think having different perspectives uh, can help eliminate bias that uh, a hiring manager may have. And so, I, you know, there's times where I'll meet a candidate and I'm in love with them and then someone else, another manager who interviewed them, will then share, hey, I have these concerns and it always ends up being something I didn't catch. Or, hey, here's somebody who, here's something I liked about a candidate that I may not have catched. So I, you definitely want to involve multiple hiring managers, uh, managers in the hiring process. Um, that's one of my recommendations. Um, you know, key, you know, I, I always like to... I, a key part of the interviewing process is how well do they listen, right? So I'll throw in questions like, hey, give me three examples of accomplishments you're very proud of. Well, one, I want to hear the accomplishments. Were they winners in the past? You know, because I want competitive people. Uh, but at the same time, did they, did they give me three examples? Sometimes people start to answer a question and go off on a tangent and not really answer the question. So I like to throw in the rule of three every now and then in, in my interview questions just to make sure they're, they're using active listening skills. I love it. Let me, let me give you a question that I didn't expect to ask because I didn't, uh, I didn't know exactly where this was going to go. I love it. You got me fired up right now, Ben. Uh, <laughs> I get asked a ton, can you hire for coachability? Is that something that you guys consider is how coachable they are? Absolutely. I, it, it's one of the core competencies you want to look for. I think where, where that comes into play is the references. Now, the way I, uh, this came, this comes from top grading, uh, the book top grading your sales team. So, um, I don't like to call just the references they provide on their application. I want to call former bosses. So I always you know, forget your references who are people you already know personally or professionally. Give me your three, your last three bosses. And first of all, it'll be very telling if they're even willing to do that. Because if they're yeah. not, then that's there's a red flag right there. If they do give you your last three bosses, those are the questions I want to ask the boss. So not necessarily candidate. I want to ask the former boss coachability questions, right? When was a time where, you know, you identified an opportunity for this candidate to improve? What was the plan? Did they respond? How did they respond? I want to hear that from their former bosses. I love that. 
Um, this was good. I, you know, Ben, as I talked to you, I, I, I could probably do this whole episode on best practices and hiring, which everybody talks about talent and team is so important. I could probably have just best practices and hiring, but this is only the first of the things on your blueprint. So, so you guys are really good at helping them find the best people and find them fast. You got a big staff, you have a good process. Once you get them, what's the next thing you guys do with this great team, uh, that you do to help them? Enter high growth mode. While we're recruiting or just before recording, the first and most important step, and this is for hyper growth companies or mature companies, is the process. So we have business process engineers. We hire smart people. We're here in Georgia, so we hire smart people out of Georgia, Georgia Tech, or all the Emory or all the great schools in the area. And we actually hire people who graduate with engineering degrees, and we'll have them come in and help us mop out, map out, and process the sales, the buyer's journey for the sales process that we're being hired for. And because it's that process that's extremely important. So if you're a company listening, you're gonna have challenges scaling any strategy you have unless you have the process in place. So we then use that process as the foundation for everything else that we do in the sales. In other words, it is the process is how we build our training playbooks. The process is how we install the technology stack so that the technology stack is working for the process, not the process working around the technology stack. Yeah. And so all of that, it's the process part of what we put into our sales motions that make it work. Yeah, I'm really glad you got that too because, A, let's go back. I think you guys are in a killer area. That whole greater Atlanta area has some awesome companies in there. Uh, ones that I, I mean, you, you have tons of talent that you can pull in. Do you find that, uh, your reps are surprised by your focusing on process? Are they appreciative of it? Are, are, are you finding that today's salesperson finds safety, uh, in process or do they feel like it, it takes some of their freedom away? Can you talk about how today's salesperson, uh, accepts process? I, I think you'll have a really unique insight here. Yeah, they're absolutely grateful for it because how often have, you know, they've probably been hired before and they were just thrown into the mix right away and given a phone or a, a script or whatever and, and, or a book of accounts and say, all right, go get it. And, you know, that's not, that's not the right way to onboard and develop a team. Um, they're going to feel lost very quickly. They're going to feel undervalued very quickly. Um, you, you know, I, we find when we bring people into a new team and we have a process already built, we have the playbooks already built, we have the tech stack already built so that when we design a sales motion, the idea isn't just to enter what you just did. Don't enter just the last conversation. We need to tell them what to do next, when to do it, how to do it. And that's what we build into our process. And that, that just takes guesswork away. It reduces what I call red time versus green time. Red time is all that time that a rep spends not selling, right? Researching, yes. figuring out who, figuring out who to call, you know, how do I reach them? How do I ask for them? What should I say? We try to reduce that as much as possible and automate that so that they're spending more green time, which are actual sales activities. And so I think if they, if they have more green time, then their pipeline fills up faster. And if their pipeline fills up faster, then they start closing deals and, and appreciate it in their bonuses. So yeah, it's, 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 I, I think today's salespeople really appreciate a thought-out process that's handed to them. Yeah, I think so too. I think that we're in a world right now where sales process is seen by all as a critical non-negotiable. 
But you have this really cool perspective. I'm kind of jealous, to be honest with you, Ben. You guys build, do you build the sales process for your customers or do you take the process they gave you? What, what, what's your perspective on what makes for a great sales process? Anything that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, we build it with them. So when a company hires us and say, hey, we have this new go-to-market strategy. So I will say that we're not necessarily the ones that come up with a strategy. A lot of times our clients have already done their research and said, hey, we need to have a new way to pull sales through our channel, for example, or generate leads or manage our current accounts and cross-sell, upsell. They, they, they've probably already thought about that. Um, our clients are pretty smart people. But what they, what they need help with is the execution. And that's where we'll come in and say, okay, what's your go-to-market strategy? What's the buyer's journey look like, more importantly? Let's not force your sales process into what the buyer prefers. What's the buyer's journey from beginning to end? So from the, you know, what account should we be calling if you're using account-based sales, which I do recommend. And then, you know, how do they want to be engaged? How's the first conversation? What do the handoffs look like? What are the different KPIs that you're going to manage, measure for each stage to make sure your leading indicators lead to your lagging indicators? All that is built in a stage-by-stage process with the client. So it's, it's a very collaborative, um, long conversation, but important. So you guys, you guys generated over 19 billion in revenue for your clients in 2018. That's no small accomplishment. I got to imagine you guys see process as absolutely critical. Is, is process something that helps you predict? Is it something that is fuel for the journey? Like what are some key things? And maybe you can, how do you guys use process to drive that kind of growth? Because 19 billion is a big boy number, Ben. Yeah, so it allows us to verify, right? It allows us to process, allows us to verify, do we have the right steps? Do we have the right motions? Do we have the right conversations happening? Uh, allows us to inspect our, our, our own process because it's, you know, it, it can be a living document, um, somewhat. And then, and then it also allows us to kind of measure success from our reps. It allows us to benchmark, you know, what, you know, benchmark best practices versus average and how do we get the entire, how do you get your B and C players to start performing like your A players? All that can be built out in a process. And like I said earlier, along the process, you're going to have different KPIs or measurements. And, and if you ahead of time kind of figure out what are the conversions that we need in each stage that gets us the revenue at the end, and then you're able to measure those leading indicators that get you to the lagging indicators, all that has to be done through thorough process building. What do you think? I'm interested on this one. You see tons of process. You, teach, you see tons of reps. You probably have your customers comparing what you do uh, for them versus what they're doing internally. I got to think that happens sometimes. Yep. What would you say the most common process mistake is? Well, I would, I would, you know, it's not really the process mistake. And this is where I think Exvoyant comes in is it's, it's developing the people along the way, right? So you can't just only rely on the process. It's, are you doing the continuous improvement training? Are you doing the follow-up? Are you observing and listening and coaching? Are you monitoring? Are you um, providing 
team-oriented training as well as the one-on-one training? Is it documented so that you can follow up on the training afterwards? You know, if you just spend a week during a launch training reps, they're going to forget 80% of what you taught them that week. So what's the follow-up training yes. when they're actually in the practical sales motions and they can, they can provide practical experience? What does that look like? And is it built into your continuous improvement process? And absolutely. So we've talked a lot about process, but none of that process can be delivered unless you have excellent development of your team. So is that the third one? You started with talent. Number two is process. Now you're on development of your team. Is that different than the process? Is that the third thing for you? That and technology. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great sales enablement tools out there, including yours, where, uh, you know, we, we try to arm our reps in our sales teams with the technology that again, reduces red time, increases green time. We put the right tech stack and it varies by program. We don't always use the same technology. Uh, it depends on the needs of the program. But first thing we do again is I'll build the process and then I'll build the technology stack around the process so that technology yeah. is telling the reps what to do next, not what they just did. So I love that, Ben. I think that that's so smart. And I, by the way, thank you again for joining us. I think it, it's such a great opportunity for the leaders that are listening to this show around the world to listen to a guy like you that builds this stuff over and over again. And instead of saying, these are the best sales stack tools, you say, well, let's look at your process. Let's look at what your development needs will be. And then let's put together the right stack uh, to make sure that we optimize in a way that's unique for this project. Uh, I think that's super smart because I think that I've seen a lot of people that try and go from place to place because you and I both know sales leaders, they turn over with some regularity. It's rare to see people last more than two years right now. Mm -hmm. And um, they often just take their bag of tricks with them. I, I like that. That's, is there any ways to anything you'd share with our leaders on how do you identify what the right ways to develop and automate with technology? Any, any kind of things that you've said, this is what, what we do to know what belongs in a program and what doesn't. Yeah, well, we certainly iterate. We certainly, I'm going to be honest, we appreciate free trials. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe a company our size can get away with that. Um, we A-B test. So um, I'll take, um, you know, in the right situation, I might take two sales teams and use competing technologies and kind of A-B test or even A-B test messaging, A-B test email campaigns, email test different marketing campaigns. So I'm a big fan of A-B testing. I'm going to be honest, I'm a big fan of free trials. Um, and then, you know, and then benchmark it against your metrics and your results prior to the technology. And then once you install the technology, what do the results look like afterwards? Love it. Well, that's a killer blueprint. Get the right talent, uh, have the right process, and make sure you have an intentional approach to how you develop the talent and use and use tech to to accelerate it. Is is am I getting that right? Is that yep. what I'm saying? Okay, so I people like that. Pro people process technology PPT, right? Boom! I love it. Yeah. No, but but it's cool, and it's cool to hear you share some of your stories and, and thoughts around it. So let's shift for a second. And let's talk about leadership. Now you're, you're you're a sales leader. You hire sales leaders. You develop sales leaders. Any non-negotiables that, that uh, should exist if you want to be a, a really successful high-growth sales leader? 
Well, obviously, integrity comes first and foremost. You, you, you have to have the highest levels of integrity. And again, you can you can verify that with the uh, calling the previous supervisors um, to find out if there were any times where, um, you know, they might have had some questionable tactics. So that comes first and foremost. The second is listening skills. I, you know, I like leaders that listen more than they talk, even though I'm doing a lot of talking right now. I prefer... Uh, you know, I, I really like listeners because if they're using active listening skills, if they're listening to their people, they're going to be able to connect with their people. They're going to be able to provide feedback that impacts that individual uh, and helps motivate that individual towards their career goals or their professional goals or even personal goals. So, you know, to me, in, you know, integrity is certainly a non-negotiable. But the second one is is um, listening. Yeah, that's, you know what, you're right, because I think that most people don't, and I, I can't wait to get your take on this, Ben. I think everybody says, oh, it's such a different deal. You know, being a high producer uh, is a totally different skill set than being a really successful manager. And I think, yes, in a lot of ways, but the one thing that I think is similar, your ability to listen to and understand your customers will drive how well you can help them accomplish their goals. I think it's the same exact thing for a leader. Can you listen to and understand what the objectives and needs are for your reps and then as a result create unique paths to help them hit their goals? And in that vein, it's not that different. The things that made you great as a rep can make you great as a leader. Agree or disagree with that? That part is transferable, absolutely transferable. And you, you have to listen objectively just like you did with your clients, which made you a top rep. You got to do it with your sales team. Um, you can't get frustrated if they don't do things the way you do, because that's not going to happen. <laughs> How and often does that happen? I got to stop you. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. I'm not <laughs> active listening. I'm stopping you. How often do you see leaders get frustrated with reps and say, why aren't you doing it the way I do? I, I, I'm so glad you went there. Is that a common thing? New leaders all the time, right? Yes. So new, new managers fall into that trap all the time. They just don't have the exposure to recognize that there's more than one way to negotiate. There's more than one way to connect with a buyer. There's, you know, especially in an authentic, genuine way, you got to allow that to happen. So you got to let people be, you know, utilize their strengths. I'm a big fan of, you know, the strength finder and managing, letting people utilize their strengths. So yeah, new managers fall into that trap all the time where, you know, they, they want things done the way they did it because they had success that way. But, you know, there's more than one way to be successful. Okay. This has been killer. Any other things? So you've given me two things that are non-negotiables. You've given me a blueprint for sales leadership success. Let me shift and uh, ask one of my favorite questions that I like to ask most people on the show because we are starting to wrap run, run up on it. Crazy as to how fast it goes. Toughest sales leadership challenge that you think leaders have to face, and how how do you how do you face that challenge? You know, this is a this is a, it's a great question, and I have a new one that's been challenging me personally and my sales team lately, and, and some of our other teams. And that is, this might be a little different answer than you might have heard. Getting the finance department of the buyer involved, because. The CFO, especially if you're selling big, big ticket items like we are, like sometimes we're selling deals that are multi-million dollars, and it's like, it, and and we'll have the we'll have the champion on our side, we'll have we'll have the the business um, uh, executive on our side. Everyone will understand the business purpose of what we're doing, and we might even close a deal, 
And then inevitably, someone in finance is going to say, why are we making this investment? Because that person is looking at a big budget, and they could spend dollars elsewhere. So they're trying to decide what's the smartest and best place to spend dollars to get ROI. And, and I don't feel like we, generally speaking, in sales, especially enterprise sales, are involving the finance department in the pre-sales conversations, but even post-sales, so that they understand the business purpose of this investment. And if that happens, then at some point, if you don't involve them, at some point you're going to have, have to answer some what you could be tough questions or you think they're easy questions, but you have to restate the business case again. And you can't always rely on your sponsors to deliver that message. So how do you go about, and I'm a I haven't totally solved this yet. It's just a challenge we're kind of going through. How do you how do you get your executive sponsors to include finance in the conversation, in the pre-sales conversation, so that they understand the business purpose of the investment? So that is a different challenge. I haven't heard that one, and you're right. I like that, especially the larger ticket items. I think it falls into that. They've got to be one of those eight or however many. It changes every time. It's like eight, eight, eight people that have to be saying yes, right? right? So I, I don't think, sorry to interrupt, but I, I don't think salespeople are even asking for finance to be at the table. And let's, let's, let's start there. Like, yeah, whenever, you're with, whenever you're with your sponsor, say, okay, I'm going to deliver the proposal. Who all is going to be in the room? And he'll mention his five other people on the buying committee. And if finance isn't one of those, literally ask them, well, who from your finance department could or should join us? So you solve it with process is what you're telling me. Cause that's, that's a process answer, right? That's right. Yeah. I like that. Um, ben, this has been a killer episode. Uh, such great insights. I love your challenge. I think you're right. Getting finance involved earlier. I think it's something people do only when they have to, right? Is that, is that a fair way of looking at it? They do it when they have to rather than part of the process. And I love how you, you're suggesting flip it around and figure that out sooner. Is, am, am I getting that right? You are. Get ahead of it so that they're well informed of what your business solution is and the ROI from a, from a numbers point of view and, and get them to support the cause early. Okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's such a good one. And I think our leaders are nodding their heads saying, yeah, we got to make sure we figure that out. And I think part of it is just getting more comfortable when that's going to be part of the process. And and, and having your reps speak that language to that person, not just the language of the business problem to the salesperson, I would imagine. Yep. All right, let's start wrapping this up. We've, we've, uh, I can't believe we're over 30 minutes already. Thank you, by the way. Your perspective is amazing. Uh, what a, I already know what's going to happen as this goes live. Our, our leaders are really pumped to get to see and hear from someone like you who's built so many freaking successful sales systems. But here's what I found, Ben. Our leaders, uh, I, I see it over and over again. They don't ever get tired of learning. The great leaders are always trying to find, how do I keep getting better? And we've found that leaders are readers. And so with you uh, as someone that continues to build some of the best sales systems in the world, what are some of those things that you think ought to be in the library of, of someone if they want to be a great sales leader? You know, this one, uh, this book isn't just for sales leaders. It's for entrepreneurs like yourself or myself. I'm a small business owner for, of a school of rock, as you know. Um, and whether you're advancing your career in sales or anywhere in life, are you familiar with the book Grit by Angela Duckworth? Grit? I haven't read it, but it's on my list. I hear it's amazing. 
It is amazing. It's the power of persuasion and perseverance. It's all about perseverance. She puts a ton of data and research behind it and basically recognizes that grit is the number one ingredient in the formula for successful companies. And so that's one. And I think that, uh, I think that transfers into your personal life. I think it transfers into your sales career. Um, I'm a big fan of the book. I read it last year uh, called Grit by Angela Duckworth. You're the first one on the show to recommend that one. I cannot wait. I, I'll, I'll be honest, Ben. I quite often when I get done talking to people like you who are uh, having tons of success, when I finish these interviews, I immediately go to my Amazon account and I put up, put that book in there because I'm still one of those guys that likes to turn pages. I, I, I cannot wait. Next time I see you, I promise you I'll have a report on what I think about that book. Awesome. Ben, this has been such a terrific episode. I'm so grateful that you joined us. Thanks again. It's been been terrific. Tons of insights. For our listeners that are right now saying, man, I like what this guy is laying down, how do we get more of you? How do they connect with you? How do they learn more about market source and, and some of your insights on, on how to become you know, world-class in sales and grow faster than the market allows? Sure. You can reach me, of course, on LinkedIn under Ben Sims. I work for Market Source, And then uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at E-B-Sims, S-I-M-M-S. So you can certainly find me there, as well as uh, visit us at marketsource.com if you want to learn more about MarketSource. Um, so happy to do, have a conversation with anyone. All right, my man. Um, this has been fantastic. You've given us a great blueprint. You've given us some good non-negotiables. You shared some great, uh, some great challenges and stories. Any final thoughts that uh, you think are worth sharing as we get ready to wrap this up? as it relates to building a high-growth sales team? Build your high-growth sales team. Take a look at your current acquisition costs, your customer lifetime value, and, you know, how are you guys performing in that area and what, what steps can you do to improve those areas? Because um, I think those are also very, very important. We talked about finance earlier. Those are very important intangibles also. Well, tangibles, I should say, also. So, hey, Rob, I enjoyed the conversation. I always enjoy talking to you, and this was no different. Hey, Ben, thanks so much. His name is Ben Sims. He, uh, he's running sales and, and client services over there at, at uh, MarketSource. His teams have generated over $19 billion in revenue for some of the most iconic companies in the world. Listening to him has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Ben, thanks so much for joining us, and happy selling. Thank you, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I've been wanting to get Ben Sims on here for a while. Market Source works literally with some of the world's most iconic brands. And I've had the opportunity to walk through their facility. I've met some of their senior leaders they do a really, really great job on helping companies of all sizes and companies of all kinds of markets build sales teams really quickly that deliver high levels of revenue really quickly. And so they've learned how to enter high growth mode. They've learned how to stay in high growth mode. And it was interesting to me to, to have a chance to have one of the people that helps helping lead that company share some of the blueprint for what drives the ability to get into and stay into high growth sales. And it's, it may surprise you that there's no silver bullets. That's, I guess, the big thing that jumped out of me from Ben. It's people first. And he had a bunch of great things about people first. And the two things that really jumped out at me was they're really, really good at making sure they have their ICP uh, for recruiting. 
So just like in sales, we've got to have our ICP for who we're going to sell to. They're really, really good at making sure they know who's going to be a good fit for the kinds of teams they're building. The other thing that really jumped out at me with that was when I asked them about hiring for coachability, I've had a lot of people tell me how they try to derive it and, and use interview questions, et cetera, to figure out if someone's coachable. But I, I think Ben's approach was a way better answer. He just said, that's why you talk to former bosses. It's not just to ratify if there's employment. It's not to find out if they really hit their numbers. It's none of that crap. It's tell me how coachable these people were. Because he talked about that coachability factor is legitimately an X factor on if you're going to be able to have someone grow with a company or if just they'll fill a little role for a minute. So I thought that was cool. We talked a lot about sales process. I loved that. Uh, my favorite part about that whole element was the idea of red time versus green time. Haven't really had anybody on the on the show come talk about that yet, and that's probably a really big driver why Market Source is so good at creating high growth so quickly is they're really focused on maximizing green time instead of red time. And that's that seems like a no-brainer to think about, but the execution of that takes systems. It takes process. And that's why they use technology, which is thing four, so they can make sure that they have the process be done better or be done more efficiently and ultimately give them more green time. Um, it's real simple. If, if you have more time doing high-value activities and less time doing low-value activities, you're going to probably be more successful. Uh, spent a lot of time talking about people development. One of the things that was jumping out in my mind, there's a, a thought that I've been having, I've been sharing with tons of people right now. I want to share it here on the show. As leaders, we have got to move past using numbers to just keep score, and we have to start using numbers to help change individual behavior. Okay, so we've got to stop using numbers just to keep score. Now, the ultimate scoreboard will always matter, right? How much you sold and, and if you hit quota or not. That matters. We sign up for that when we get into sales. That's an obvious, that's not up for debate. But how you use numbers, one of the seven deadly sins of one-on-one -on -one coaching is when we ambush people with data and we, we weaponize data. And my question is, are you able to use numbers to help people go on individualized journeys? I believe the day of just having stack rankings and gamifying numbers and say, hey, you know, who are you going to beat and make sure you're above the average line, not below the average line. Let's have you pulling us up, not pulling us down. That just doesn't work. That, that ship left. It sailed. It was interesting. And, and most organizations are finding that's really not that compelling. What is compelling is when you can use numbers to individualize how you help people on their individual journeys. Unique people need unique plans. Now, I was talking to one of our uh, customers this week, and he told me that it takes work to get your leaders to actually become that kind of coach. But I got news for you. It's a lot easier work than just crossing your fingers and hoping that all of your reps just adopt things. And so the, the lever that will give you the biggest bang for your buck is if you can roll up your sleeves and help those leaders learn how to become an outstanding one-on-one -on -one coach that will create unique plans for unique people and ignite something in them and inspire them to stay on that journey. And that's why in number four, he said that that's the use of technology. It's really only as good as the green time it creates. I, I really liked that thought from Ben. Tech is only as good as the green time it creates. I, I think that's a good lens for all of us to look through. I want to finish with one final thought. When we talked about uh, leadership, that's when I really got fired up listening to Ben. And you can hear that Ben's an experienced, savvy leader. He's, he's, 
He's had more than his share of rodeos, and it's it's clear why Mar- he's a good reason why Market Source is doing so well, as they've surrounded themselves with great leaders. He said that for a leader, your integrity is your best asset. And he talked a lot about listening skills and, and why you need to be listening more than you're talking, just like a rep does. And it reminded me of something my mentor once shared with me. He shared with me that leaders on pedestals make easy targets. And um, this guy is now co-founder at Exvoyant with me, and and uh, he continues to be one of the greatest influences in my life. And early in my leadership career, I did not understand that principle that leaders on pedestals make easy targets. We need to get off the pedestal and build up those around us. Too many leaders put themselves on the pedestal, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, follow me, I'll take you where you need to go. That is a easy place. I've seen way too many leaders that are really smart, really dynamic, really effective, get knocked off the pedestal at the first opportunity because, again, leaders on pedestals make easy targets. Let other people put you on the pedestal. You should avoid that pedestal at all costs. Be a great listener. Be a great collaborator. Uh, Be someone that can help uh, figure out that unique path for the unique person and then celebrate their successes like you're a little kid that just uh, caught your first fly ball or something, right? or learned how to ride a bike for the first time. But that's my advice. Stay off the pedestal. Have your integrity be your biggest asset. And if you are outward focused rather than pedestal focused, no one will doubt your um, your motives. And you can have the best opportunity to be this leader that creates green time, creates ridiculous success, and ultimately becomes legendary for the teams that have the opportunity to work with you. I hope you found Ben interesting. Uh, again, thank you so much for what you do for listening to the show. Please, please, please keep giving us those five-star ratings so other people can find us. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com